Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We're very, very excited to talk about deliverance. And we want to give guys some disclaimers. We're all going to give you a bit of a disclaimer here. If you came for a drama broadcast, if you came for a drama stream, if you came for us to f- flame or to attack or to go after Ellen oh, Parr, you're in the wrong broadcast. You're going to you're gonna actually be bored tonight because that's not yeah. what we're going to do. We're not here to debate Ellen Parr. We're not here to change Ellen Parr's mind. He put out a public video on what he believes the Bible teaches on deliverance. And all of us preach deliverance. We all do deliverance. And so we thought we were just going to join in the conversation. He started a conversation about should all Christians cast out demons. And so tonight we are going to refute his video. We're going to play his video. And we're going to talk about what we believe, the points he makes, and what do we believe the Bible says. And I'm going to say something. We don't disagree on everything he says. In fact, there are several points here that we actually agree on. And so we're going to talk about that. We honor Ellen Parr. We think he's a brother. We think he's a great Bible teacher. But when it comes to the ministry of casting out demons, we do believe that he has some areas wrong that could be damaging to the body of Christ. And my heart, Apostle Alexander Pagani's heart, Pastor Mike's heart, is to see people get delivered. I am so tired of watching people in the church, and I get emotional when I talk about this, so I'm gonna just go here, but I get, I'm get i so tired of watching people in bondage and nobody willing to confront the devil, nobody willing to confront demons and do what Jesus did. So we're very passionate about setting people free and doing the things that Jesus did. And so do you guys wanna say anything as an intro about that? I just want you guys to know this is not a drama stream. This is not a heresy hunting stream. We just wanna bring some biblical clarity to the conversation. Yeah, so I think, um, as uh, Isaiah mentioned, that today is a continuation of a conversation. Um, and I think our primary focus is really not uh, Alan Parr and to try to change his views. The dialogue, I'm sure that eventually that the dialogue between us and Alan Parr will eventually happen. Um, but really, we're more concerned about two things. You know, there's one thing to have a disagreement, and there's another thing to have something that could be potentially damaging. And what I mean by damaging is this, is that sometimes Christians don't know how to distinguish between what they can and cannot do because we're all learning how to be led by the Spirit. So an example of this would be, let's say someone is potentially in those rare cases that they are demonized. What we don't want to happen is in those moments when somebody is confronted with someone that is demonized, that a believer that's there, that God allowed them to be at that moment, is not wrestling in their head with what Alan Parr said about that not everybody and that God has not encouraged us to cast out demons. And that the person that is really manifesting at that moment um, doesn't get the freedom that they authentically need. So that is our focus today. We feel that Alan Parr has the right to believe according to how God has revealed it to him. And we respect that because we all have our doctrinal uh, differences on secondary topics. But nevertheless, a bound person is still a bound person that needs healing. We can argue about theology later. Let's get them healed. And what we're trying to do is to make sure that when those moments do happen and God allows those of you that are watching to be that person to help someone get delivered, that you're not second guessing whether you should or that you shouldn't because of a video of something that was said uh, that might be a little bit confusing. So that's kind of like where we are headed today. So Alan, if you're watching, we absolutely love what God is doing 
in your ministry. We support you. Um, you are an awesome, phenomenal Bible teacher. We're just trying to make sure that there is a difference between a disagreement and then something that could be potentially damaging. But I love what Pastor Mike said uh, off camera that this is going to be nothing but a great conversation and dialogue. And I think, Pastor Mike, I think you could explain it better than the way that I'm explaining it about what's going to happen tonight. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, you know, here's what it comes down to. Confrontation produces controversy. And but conversation can actually produce relationship. And I think what we've seen, we've seen all the time on YouTube culture, whatever, is like, hey, I'm gonna clap back, I'm gonna cancel somebody. And really, we're not coming, we're confronting the works of darkness. Um, but when you confront your brother and sister in Christ, you can you can create a lot of controversy. So the heartbeat of this conversation was real, really like, let's increase our relationship. Let's see if we can deepen people's understanding of the scriptures. I want to start by saying this. Uh, each one of the men represented in this uh, on your screen right now loves the Bible. And what I know about uh, Alan is that he loves the Bible as well. And so unfortunately, tens of thousands of people agree with him and tens of thousands of people agree with us. And what happens is when even when scholars disagree on both sides, it can produce a lot of confusion. And so what we want to do is bring a rational appeal to you. We want to bring a logical appeal to you tonight. And then first and foremost, a supernatural experience with the Holy Spirit, because how many of you know we don't read our Bible alone? Uh, it's not the story of what happened. It's the story of what always happened. And the Holy Spirit's even here present to reveal and to confirm, because, you know, uh, he will teach us all things. So I'm just grateful that I know Pastor Vlad's not here, but the Holy Spirit will take that fourth slot. And uh, we're going to kind of migrate through each point tonight. Absolutely. And yeah. there's people in the chat right now that are saying, who are you guys? And so let me just say, I'll start off by introing myself, then we'll go Pagani and then Mike, is we all do deliverance. So we're talking about a topic, not that we know in theory, but we know in practice. We're not talking about a school of theology. We're talking about a school of experience. And we're going to show you later experience does matter. But we all have experience. We do deliverance on a weekly basis. We've all done collectively thousands of deliverances. We do mass deliverance events. We do one-on-one -on -one deliverances. We do Zoom Zoom deliverances. We do deliverance at our churches, at our altars. And so for me, I, if you don't know me, I got radically saved 11 years ago. I was an atheist. I wanted nothing to do with God. I had a radical born again experience with God where God said, pray, and I'm going to bring revival to your home. That led into a 10 year revival that I senior pastored. I was uh, for 10 years, a senior pastor of a revival church there. Uh, in Manteca, California, and I traveled about 100,000 to 150,000 miles every single year. Almost every weekend, I was gone traveling, preaching while having our own church services on Tuesday. I have a love for the people of God. I have a love for the church, the body of Christ, for deliverance. Uh, 2019 comes, and the towards the end of 2019, God came to me and my pastor, who's also my uncle, and said, I want you guys to pivot and reach people, the masses online. So we started doing stuff online at the end of 2019, not obviously knowing about COVID, and then COVID broke out, and we were doing stuff online and it's grown and now by the grace of God we're reaching two to three million people every single week I'm a part of a local church here in Stockton California called Lifesong I'm under Pastor James Bird and Bishop Wellington Boone of the Fellowship of International Churches I'm submitted to authority I'm a part of a local church I preach regularly and I'm gonna say something boys is gonna shock the whole audience here I have a four-year degree in theology, so I actually did go to Bible college. I studied for four years. I had to write 15 and 20 and 30-page papers every single month on the Bible and the topics of Bible college. So some of you think that I'm illiterate because I talk fast and veins pop out of my neck, but I do know the Bible. I do have a degree in, script, in, in the scripture, and I love the Bible. If you've watched my broadcast, maybe you're new. 
then you'll know that we use scripture. I think last night we used over 50 scriptures and most of our broadcasts were using 30 to 50. We're going to give you scripture today. We're not going to just share experiences and testimonies, although that's powerful and valid. But I just want to say that we are all advocates. We all actively do deliverance, actively pray for the sick. Again, it's not a theory for us. It's a reality. Go ahead, Apostle Pagani. Sorry, I took a little bit there. Well, God bless you. My name is Alexander Pagani. I'm the lead pastor of Amazing Church Global, located in the South Bronx, New York City. I've been saved since 1992, so I got 30 years since I was born. You know, so I got 30 years in the gospel. I've been serving as lead pastor of a church for 18 years. This will be my 19th year right now. I'm also a graduate of Central Pentecostal Biblical Institute, so I also have the accolades on my wall uh, of serving and learning for five years. So um, I'm also a theology buff and I understand a lot uh, concerning theology. And as a matter of fact, that was probably my biggest hindrance. You're looking at a former pastor that used to preach against deliverance. Come on. So I understand exactly where those that are struggling with deliverance are coming from. I used to do Bible studies against the ministry of deliverance. I used to preach against the Isaiahs. I used to preach against the Alexander Paganis and call it sensationalism and fanaticism and unscriptural. So I understand. And then eventually the Holy Spirit knocked me off my horse like Saul of Tarsus and gave me an experience. And then God has a sense of humor. Now he has me preaching this message of deliverance that I used to be vehemently against all over the world. I am also submitted to authority. I am under the covering of Apostle Tudor Bismarck and the Jabula New Life International. So I myself am submitted to authority. Why? Because I believe you cannot administer authority, one, without being under authority and not receiving it from authority. So I'm excited about deliverance. I've participated in more than a thousand, maybe two, three thousand deliverance one-on-one sessions. And now in the latter part of my ministry experience, I am doing schools of deliverance all over the country. And I am the author of the best-selling book, The Secrets to Deliverance. So I'm sorry that I have to go out and throw out all of these accolades, but I think it's absolutely necessary that we have to do that today because of the nature of what we're going to do uh, in this particular live stream. So pretty much that's it. I'm a husband of two sons and I love Jesus. I'm absolutely in love with my wife and I absolutely in love with helping God's people get delivered and set free. Come on. Love it. This has been so entertaining. Just (laughs) listening to your guys' story. (laughs) I love Um, it. Try to do mine briefly. And, and here's the thing. Um, I'm going to want to up you guys. I started my own college. So V1 College has... <laughs> Listen, we started our own college. So V1 College has over 100 students from 15 nations on the planet right now. And I know that many of them are watching tonight uh, because they have a love for sound doctrine and theology. And so, uh, but I'm also a former atheist myself, raised in storefront Pentecostal churches. And so if you hate charismania and emotionalism, um, I probably hated it more. And I was one of those guys that rebelled in the complete opposite direction, which is why I was actually heavily involved in the emergent church and Acts 29 network. And I have been personally trained under the leadership of Tim Keller in the Reformed Gospel Coalition. I want to call it like a temple. (laughs) And so... And so if you're watching this and you're saying, I want to dismiss these guys because uh, they are just cookie cutter, cliche charismatics, I would say, take another look. 
uh, take another look because um, I've held my, my own in the upper echelons of reformed gospel coalition theological circles. And I'll step out on a limb. And if they're watching, they can comment and validate this. I dare say they actually respect me and uh, we mutually respect each other. And so, uh, and so whatever your theological persuasion is, hopefully you feel the love tonight. Um, but having said all that, I launched V1 Church here in New York. I'm originally from Indiana, so I'm 50 percent uh, hillbilly and 50 percent city slicker um, and doing deliverance, mass deliverance. I I learned under Apostle John Eckhart in the late 90s in South Chicago. So that's kind of my, my DNA. And yeah, I've been doing it uh, everywhere, all around the world and every Sunday. And even when I don't want to do deliverance, it still comes to me. So <laughs> and good. so. So we want to speak from that tonight and give you guys some incredible insights into the scriptures. And I know some of you say, well, why do you guys have to give this intro about yourselves? Because there's a lot of people in the chat that don't know who we are and they get on here thinking, right. oh, these are some random guys that are YouTube people or they're live streamers, lone wolf, they're self-appointed. That is not <laughs> what we are. So we're not some Looney Tunes, fruits and flake charismatics that just fall out and get oil poured on us. We believe in scripture, we believe in doctrine, and we believe in the power of God. And it is for today in Jesus name. Okay. So what we're going to do is, if you don't know what we're doing tonight, we are refuting Ellen Parr's video on should a Christian cast out a demon or can a Christian, Christian I believe is the title, cast out a demon. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it fair. We're not debating Ellen Parr. Some of you say, why is Ellen not on? Because we're not debating Ellen Parr. We're, de we're refuting his video that he made publicly, and we're not going to talk about anything outside of his video. So we're going to stay on topic on each fact. We'll discuss each fact, what we believe the Bible says, where we think he's right and where we think he's wrong. And then we are going to move through the video. So we'll go point by point. So you'll see his video on screen. If you say, well, I never saw the video, you're about to see it right now. So let let me turn this on here and you guys will be able to watch it here. Here we go. And Christians cast out demons. Do we have that type of authority? Right so there is something that I see is going on that's becoming more and more prevalent in the body of Christ. And that is the fact that we are obsessed with the supernatural. Just the regular move of God isn't cutting it anymore. We need to see something supernatural happen so that we can see and know that God is actually moving. And so oftentimes people who are engaging in casting out demons or some sort of deliverance ministry, we just assume that they are performing some sort of act of God or move of God when in actuality that very well may not be what's going on. So in this video, I'm going to give you seven things that you need to consider from the Bible as it relates to demons and whether or not Christians can cast them out. Okay, fact number one is that demons and demonic influence is real, right? I want to get that one out of the way early on before I launch into some uh, other points. But it's very, very clear that as believers, we are going to deal with demonic presence and demonic influence. Notice what the Bible says in a couple scriptures here. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now we see people being possessed by a demon and people having demons cast out of them in the early church. In the book of Acts chapter eight, it says this, crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Then again, in Acts chapter 16, it says this, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. 
and instantly it left her. So anyone who thinks that there is not a spirit of wickedness, a spirit of darkness, demonic influence that we are dealing with in this world is being severely deceived. Now, that leads me to fact. So that was fact number one. We want to make sure we show you guys the video so that we give at all fair chance where he gets to share what he has to share and then we're going to share what we have to share so fact number one is demons and demonic activity are real but i also want to point out something he said in his intro he said yes. that we're obsessed and i'm going to quote him word for word so i don't get it mistaken here we're obsessed with the supernatural the regular move of god is just not enough which and then he shows benny hinn giving someone a smackdown on video there but i will say this about that I would say that the regular move of God is always supernatural. In fact, I don't know a move of God in history, whether you're talking Azusa Street or you're talking any, any move of God, even in the book of Acts, that was a natural move of God. So there's this theory or this thought of, pra of school of thought that if you are going after the supernatural, you're obsessed with miracles, you're obsessed with science, except um, obsessed with wonders, when in reality, the move of God is always supernatural. Anytime you see the supernatural power of God, whether it's miracles, casting out demons, or in the book of Acts, it's always the supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. So I would say it is supernatural. And then uh, fact number one, and you guys want to touch on the intro at all of something that he might have talked about there about that. Yeah, so the first thing I want to say is this, is that, um, to be fair, um, not sure if Alan edits his own videos, but to put Benny Hinn at, in, on the intro, I think is a little bit disingenuous because Benny Hinn does not, is not the poster face for the Ministry of Deliverance. When you put Benny Hinn's face on the intro, that literally puts us under the word of faith. And by default, it's already a trigger because everyone knows that Benny Hinn and the word of faith, and there's a lot of videos concerning Benny Hinn and exposing Benny Hinn. Now we're not here to say anything bad or good about Benny Hinn, but what I am saying is, is that whether it was intentional to put his face there to trigger, not saying that, that what was, that's what was done, but when you put Benny Hinn's face to trigger, two things are happening. One, you're triggering people's responses because by default, there's a lot of people that hold Benny Hinn to be a false teacher, whatever the case may be. So you're bunching us with him. That is not true. As a matter of fact, Benny Hinn, I've heard it from my own ears. He has an issue with the Ministry of Deliverance, all right? Now, second is Benny Hinn does not represent uh, the totality of the deliverance ministry. We're not in the same circuit. So I think either that's an editing issue or if, if it was done intentional, then I think that by default that might be wrong. That might be wrong. It's already caused to cause a response from people. So I want to emphatically say that um, that putting Benny Hinn or anyone to represent uh, the ministry of deliverance is wrong per se because he is not the poster face for the ministry of deliverance it, it does not represent the ministry the totality of the deliverance ministry so i don't know if that was a a an editing issue there or if it was intentional so that right there i think they could have done something else rather than putting a particular um well-respected uh word of faith person to represent the ministry of deliverance benny hinn does not represent the ministry of deliverance he represents the word of faith so by default it, it shouldn't have been put been put there and i don't think he was casting out a demon which his next point was not everything one that you see casting out a demon is actually casting out a demon and i'm pretty sure benny hinn is not casting out a demon in that video but the, yeah again that's the opening do you want to say anything about that mike yeah, I want to speak to the root issue here. And if I could talk to Alan, I would say this to him. Don't let their abuse become your excuse. So j just because uh, some people have abused or attempted to abuse God's power does not make God less powerful. 
So sometimes it's like we, we, we let somebody else's abuse become our excuse for not stepping in that direction. But the supernatural has always been a part of the believer's uh, life. And so, you know, as I took a deeper read on this, I'll be honest with you, as somebody who used to be very turned off by Pentecostals and charismatic, you know, there was a time where I, I went more into like sola scriptura and, you know, I, I just silence, you know, it's kind of like we create these these cliches, we, we create these and we're just like, well, my cliche is more powerful than your cliche or it's more reverent or it's more important. And like you said, Apostle Bagani, when you saw that intro with Benny Hinn was sort to me, it, it signals to everybody who's anti everything that that stands for. Hey, you've now entered a portal into our world. Yeah. And I, I always laughed about it. And I just want to say this briefly, like when you go to a modern mall in America, you have Hot Topic where all the metal kids go and get their band t-shirts and then you walk down you have Hollister where all the preppy kids get there but you're all in the mall and sometimes what this feels like to me is we divide ourselves by genre instead of acknowledging that we're all in the same mall and we're all victims of consumerism so it, to me it's almost like I wonder if the people who are so against the demonstration of the power of God and the supernatural have really just um, themselves been affected by the same emotionalism. And this is how I would say it. But in fact, it's just a different expression of the same emotion. So in Pente Pentecostalism or the charismatic side, we're, we're outwardly demonstrative. But then oftentimes on the reform side, they're just as passionate be about being against the emotion. <laughs> and mm. so it's like, it becomes this irony where it's like, you can show emotion against the emotion of the emotional. <laughs> but don't you dare show it the way they show it. And to me, that's something that in, in and of itself is a limitation. And I want to say, too, is we are not defending our ministries at all tonight. We're defending the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is the ministry of deliverance. Can we all agree there's no deliverance ministry in the Bible? The ministry of casting out demons is Jesus's ministry. This is not something we've started. This is something he started. So in defending deliverance, we're actually defending the ministry that Jesus started. He's the first person in the Bible to do it. He instituted it in Mark chapter 1, and that's what we're defending. So fact number one, would any of us disagree with this? Demons and demonic activity are real. No, we absolutely no. agree with that. He uses Ephesians chapter six, that yeah. we're fighting not flesh and blood enemies, but spiritual powers. He uses Acts chapter eight, where it talks about Philip casting out demons. Now I wanna just note something here and just talk about this. Philip is the only named evangelist in all of scripture. So there's only one name. Now there was other evangelists. They weren't named evangelists though. But Philip, according to Acts 21 verses eight through nine, says the next day they went to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip, the evangelist. So Acts chapter eight, where he quoted biblical evangelism, according to Philip and the, and the principle of first mention is Philip preached the gospel. He healed the sick and he cast out demons, which is a parallel to Jesus in the gospel. So Jesus, what did he do? He preached the gospel, healed the sick and cast out demons. Here, Philip, the only named evangelist in scripture is mirroring the ministry of Jesus, showing us that casting out devils didn't stop in the gospels, but the biblical model of evangelism, according to the principle first mentioned is Philip. What did Philip do? We have to key in on this. He preached, he cast out demons and he healed the sick. 
And that's what we as believers should key in on. So this idea that deliverance or the demonic or the supernatural is like uh, not really important when it comes to the gospel. I just want to share what Paul said in Romans 15, 19. He said, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. And this way, this is Paul speaking. I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Lyricum. So Paul says, I have fully presented it by the power of God's spirit, by the miraculous signs. Now we know that Paul cast out demons. We know that happened in the book of Acts. And so Paul is bringing a full presentation. I firmly believe that the gospel without deliverance, without miracles, without demonstration is not the full gospel. And we know Jesus said in John 10, if you don't believe my preaching, which some of you won't tonight, he said, believe the miraculous signs and wonders that follow me and know that I'm in the father and the father is in me. So absolutely we believe in fact, yes. I would say that the demonic activity is realer than most people imagine. It's not some far off person in India or Africa or a witch doctor or some extremely addicted person on the corner, but it's the average normal person sitting in our churches that has demons that needs deliverance, which we'll talk about Christians having demons later. So I would say, yeah, we all agree on, on fact number one. You guys want to talk about that as well? Exactly. So we want to just make sure that the viewers that are watching, as you can see, that we are not here for a witch hunt. We are actually... We actually agree with fact number one. All of us have come in agreement that yes, the demonic realm is absolutely 100% real. The early church cast out demons and we as a continuation of the early church and the early church fathers were continuing the same mandate, the same ministry of Jesus, the expansion of the kingdom, the preaching of the gospel and miracle signs and wonders as the consequential uh, response to that, not seeking after the miracles, but the miracles follow the preaching and the believing in the yep. gospel. So yes, uh, we 100% agree with you, brother Allen. We are with you. We're championing with you. And at least you believe in that. That's good. Mike, you want to add anything to that before we go on to yeah. number two? I'll just add briefly, many people read the book of Acts as if it happens all within a one-year time span. The truth is there's a little bit of disagreement, but we know it at least covers 35 years of history. Mm. And so happens when you read the book of Acts is that you are actually reading across decades, not just across years. So why did the Acts of the Apostles continue? Why, why does deliverance continue? Healing continues? Why is supernatural ministry con continuing across decades represented just in the book of Acts alone if it was supposed to end in some short duration of time after Christ's ascension? So to me, uh, yeah, it's all there. The evidence is real, real plain and simple to see. Really good. We're going to go into uh, point number two. So I'm going to turn the video back on. We're going to point two here. Number two, and that is the idea that Christians cannot cast out a demon apart from the authority of Jesus Christ. Christ must give us this authority. Notice in Mark chapter nine, it says this. John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. And then again in Luke chapter 10, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Now, using the name of Jesus Christ is not just simply tacking on at the end of your prayer in Jesus' name, right? In the same way that when Jesus says, if you ask for anything that you want in my name, it shall be given to you. We know that we can't just say, God, I want you to give me a million dollars tomorrow in Jesus name and it's going to be done. Right. So just saying in the name of Jesus means that you have authority, that God has transferred. Jesus has transferred his authority 
authority over you. And so now you are acting in his behalf, on his behalf, using his authority. Now, clearly in scripture, Jesus did give authority to certain specific groups like the 72 disciples or Paul or some of the other apostles. But the question remains, has Jesus given every single believer this type of authority to cast out any demon at any time? This leads me to fact number into that was fact number two basically the argument is um christians cannot cast our demons apart from the authority of christ we all agree on that everybody in the chat agrees agree. on that but what he pivots to i think i'm echoing back in someone's thing what he pivots into is does everybody have that authority and then he says well jesus gave it to the 12 disciples he gave it to the 72 he gave it to paul and some others but not necessarily which we'll see in the next point he doesn't believe necessarily that he's given it to everybody but i want to point something out guys in mark 9 38 which is what he read he says teacher we saw someone casting out demons in your name we told him to stop because they weren't in our group but he stops there and i want to just read one more verse in mark right. 9 39 and this is jesus's response to the verse that alan just read but he didn't go to the next verse jesus response to them is don't stop him okay i just want to stop real quick and just have everyone see this revelation jesus gave his disciples authority not these other disciples right his disciples authority cast out demons this is just the disciples there's other people that are not jesus's disciples that are casting right. out demons in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, the disciples say, should we stop them? Here's Jesus's response. Don't stop him. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone, and I want you guys to key in on this, who is not against us is for us. So we don't even have to argue this. Jesus says, there's a group of people over here that are not my disciples casting out demons that, don't, that haven't been given personal authority by me, but they're doing miracles in my name. So let them do miracles because if they're not against us, they're for us. Do we even need, which we're going to give you more guys here, but do we even need to say we don't have the authority to cast out devils? When Jesus said there's a random group over here that we're giving the authority to cast out demons to, and I didn't elect them or select them or choose them or gift them or anoint them or call them or mandate them. They're just doing it. And Jesus says, let them keep doing it. Now, if Jesus didn't want all of us to have authority to cast out demons, what would he have said? We're going to stop them because they don't have the authority. I've only given the select, which we know with a reformed theology, many of them believe that the disciples had a special level of authority, a special anointing, the apostles that we as believers don't have. But Jesus calls it a miracle and says, let them continue to do it. And so right. that's a very important point to make. I want to make it one more point here and then I'll toss it to one of you guys. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20. So we are, this is what the Bible says. Paul says, so we, we, not Paul, we are Christ's ambassadors. That's 2 Corinthians 5.20. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So Paul says we're actually Christ's ambassadors. When we're pleading with people to serve the Lord, when we're preaching the gospel, it's actually God making an appeal through us to call people back to God. So we're ambassadors, which is representatives of a kingdom. And with a right. representative, if you look up any ambassador of the US or another country, they have the authority that their government gives them. So another thing I would say is Romans 8:11. We have the same spirit that raised Christ. So we have more than just the authority of Jesus, which Alan doesn't believe we have the same authority the disciples have because he goes on the next point to say we don't. But I will well say this, we have more than the authority of Jesus. We have the spirit of God. The same spirit the Bible says on the inside of us. So I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, 
I'm confused on how we could even think that we don't have the power over demons when over and over again, Jesus says, I've given it to the disciples and now you're my ambassadors in the New Testament, in the book of Corinthians. We're now the ambassadors of God. We have the power of God, the same spirit that raised Christ. We have tons of more we can go on there, but I think that it's a, it's a error to say we don't have the same authority that the disciples had. You know, one of the great things about this verse that Alan used is this, is that it's a depiction of Christ's authority being transferred to two groups of people by direct command and by belief. Now, we know that the disciples that were talking to Christ at that moment, uh, which was actually John, the apostle, telling Christ about that they saw this other group. So that particular group that were with him, they received their authority to cast out demons through direct command. Jesus gave it to them directly. But then this other group, we don't see. We don't see. And to sit here and say that, oh, these other group represents the 70, that, that, that's, a, that's plausible. That's a stretch. But what we do see is this. One, that this group, one, G, uh, John says it, they're not part of our yep. group, which means that excludes them from the apostolic stuff. Yep. Which means that excludes them completely because John said they're not part of our group. So that excludes them. Second, we see them moving in the same power that they had. So we see the authority of Christ given to two groups. Now, I love this because if we stay with it's only given to those by command, then yes, the ministry of deliverance has ceased because the 12 have died. But this other group is also for us. Why? Because there are still believers today that are still believing in the message that the early apostles that got it by direct command were the result of that message. So that group that is no named is actually a depiction of the future of anyone who would believe Come on. and believe. It also is the New Testament way of another group of two of the elders in the 12 tribes of Israel when Moses called the convocation that God was to come down. The Bible says that two of them, two of them didn't go into camp, but Joshua saw that they prophesied outside the camp. And he also wanted to stop them and told Moses, should we stop them? And you know what Moses said? Moses said, leave them. I wish to God that all of God's people would be prophets. That's the Old Testament verse of the New Testament verse that we just saw. It's the same as in the old, so in the new. So that's what I say. This verse, in fact, number two, is a depiction of two groups of believers that have the authority transferred. One, by direct command, which is not none of us because we were not there. We, we didn't see Christ. But group number two, that is us because we weren't there to get it and receive it by direct command, but we believe in the gospel Come message on. and the same authority is transferred to us. And therefore we go forward to do the works of Christ. Awesome. Mike, you're muted. I want to add this briefly before we got, see, it wasn't me echoing then. <laughs> But I want to add this before we transition, because Apostle Bagani had talked about the connection between covenant and kingdom. And so you have the old covenant with all of its old systems, and then Christ dies, right? And then now you have the new covenant, and that initiates and inaugurates Acts chapter 2 forward, everything that we've seen. And so to say that it's it, that it no longer, uh, it, that that power is still not functioning, is to almost insinuate that there is some third covenant, because mm. you can only change things with another covenant. And so it's like there, there is, it, it almost nullifies the cross to say that the cross has lost its power. Yeah. 
So it's like we, and so to anybody who said, well, that's just the apostolic age. And, you know, when you look at like reformed theology, and obviously I've been through all the pages of it, you know, you, you see, it's like, okay, one apostle dies, let's cast lots, draw straws and replace him. And so you see a continuation, but you see that across time. And so to me, it's like, I really struggle with the idea of, so there's only two covenants. We don't need or want a third one. And yep. so things have not changed since the initiation of the, of the uh, second one. Lastly, you know, when you look at Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it talks about the 72 coming back. Yep. And one of the things that I hate, and I've got to speak to the elephant of the room, is how in these discussions, you're not allowed to use personal experience. Come and on. I just... I just want to say for the record that Luke chapter 10, verse 17 is the immortalized experience of 72 people coming back. Yep. There's no footage. There's no scientific uh, exploration. It was just simply them saying it happened. The other thing I want to add to Luke chapter 10, verse 17 is you can send a lot of people from a lot of churches into the earth and they'll have no encounters with the demonic. The mm. Methodist in Baptist, you can send them all. We're all going to go into our community and we're going to do something. But it's interesting to me that the demonic was so common that it says in Luke 10, 17, Lord, even the demons obey us, plural, meaning that they encountered the devil. And so I've got a problem with Christians who never encounter the devil. I've, I've said it on. like this. Here is the thing. It's like, um, if you're not on a head on collision with the devil, maybe it's because you're both walking in the same mm -hmm. direction. Yeah. You know, not to piggyback off what you're saying, Pastor Mike, but since you opened this can of worms about experience, I thought I might jump in and just kind of tag. So tag team me in WWE. All right. So, <laughs> Listen, let's deal with the elephant in the room. Also, let me let's let's put this thing to rest that um, I'm next though, after you. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, second Peter chapter one um, in the Apostle Paul writing his second epistle, the first chapter He's not basing anything of what he's saying on Old Testament scripture. He's talking mm -hmm. about his experience on the mountain. Let me read it to you. In verse 17, it says, um, in context, I can't read the whole chapter, but look at what the apostle Peter uh, talked about in the first chapter in verifying of how the authenticity of how the scriptures came. Look what he says. He says, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Verse 18, look what Paul, uh, Peter says, we ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him in the holy mountain. Now he's talking about the mountain of transfiguration when uh, Moses and Elijah showed up. Now he was able, look, what's crazy is this, was that when they had that experience, Jesus told them, don't share that experience. And then after the resurrection, they were told to share the experience. So experience does matter. Now watch this. Mm. Verse 19 says, look what it says, because of that experience, we have an even greater confidence in the message. So guys, wow. experience should not be discredited or discounted. Experience adds greater confidence in the message, not the message. It doesn't add more confidence to the message. It adds greater confidence to the person believing the message. Peter is actually saying here, and you could go read this in any Bible version. Verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, because of that experience, we have, who is we? He's talking about himself and those he's writing. We have an even greater confidence 
in the message proclaimed by the prophets. So experience does matter and it should Good. not be discredited and discounted as many of our reform brothers and those who wrestle with the scriptures because of the sensationalism of the experience only. Let me just freely say this. Us three here are not experience Come only. On. It's sola scriptura first and then the experience the bible is the sole authority for all faith and conduct and practice and then after that the holy spirit comes confirms the message and even if he didn't confirm the message with feeling or anything we're still going to believe in the holy scriptures but because our god is not bound by a textbook because abraham didn't have no bible noah didn't have no scriptures enoch didn't have no scriptures but they had an experience the mm. patriarchs didn't have the written text they had the experience now why am i saying this you could take my bible but you can't take away my experience right. with the god of the bible the bible confirms that god is real but it doesn't make him real mm. and experience is sprinkled on our belief to add confidence in the message go ahead Come on, you're preaching now and i, I want to say this as well most of the people that say experiences don't matter don't have experiences so that's why they say it doesn't matter because there's none but i want to show this when it comes to experience and deliverance because i'm so tired as you guys are of people saying experience doesn't matter what does it say in the bible in luke 7 21 when john the baptist is in prison with two of his disciples two of his disciples come to him so john the baptist is in prison and they start telling him jesus is doing miracles man he's casting out demons he's healing the sick and john says go ask jesus if he's the one or should we look for another now my question to john is john what are you talking about you were the one that baptized jesus in matthew chapter 3 the spirit of god descended like a dove on the jesus a voice yeah. from heaven came saying this is my son like validated right in front now here's john in prison think about this john's now discouraged because my cousin jesus is not rescuing me so i don't even know now if he's the one which that's a whole message in itself but i want to show you this important verse that shows deliverance proves who Jesus is and experience matters. They come to Jesus and they say, John wants to know if you're the one or should we, should we look for someone else? Here's Jesus's response, okay? He doesn't say go read the Torah. He doesn't give a word. He didn't say go read the Bible. He basically says, watch this. And this is the next verse. This is Luke 7, 21. We're giving you Bible here. It says, and at that very time, what time? The time they were asking Jesus, are you the one? Jesus cured many people of diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he goes, go back and report to John what you have experienced, what you have seen. Why? Because the things that you've seen prove who I am. Jesus said another time in John 10, if you don't believe me, believe the experience, believe the miracle. So yes, the experience absolutely matters. I know we say this all the time. Experience doesn't matter. Experience doesn't matter. It does matter. And the fact that thousands of people on this broadcast, by the way, we just hit 10,000. Thousands have been delivered, have been healed, have been saved through the power of God, they don't have a verse for it. It, it reminds me, guys, I'll say this last thing, and we'll go to the next uh, fact here. It reminds me of when they came to the man that was blind, and the Pharisee said, who was it? How did it happen? What's your theology? What Bible college degree? And the guy said, look, I don't know. I just know I was blind, and this yeah. man came up to me, and now I see. So I all, all I have is an experience. I don't have a Bible college degree, the guy says. I don't have religion. We can go all day on this, but he said, I have an experience, and that was in the Bible. And then, let me just say this last thing. The Gospels are the disciples' experiences with Jesus. This is men who experience Jesus writing about their experiences. So I don't know where, I think Christianity, I said this last night, is the only group in the world that says experience doesn't matter. 
try go applying to become a doctor and then when you fill out your resume and application saying i have no experience i didn't go to med school but experience doesn't matter ever anyone in any group is going to laugh at you except the church says experience doesn't matter it absolutely matters and i'm not going to take and this is not to ellen parr but it, i mean if the shoe fits anybody that doesn't have experience in deliverance trying to tell me how i should be doing deliverance what deliverance should be like experience does matter and it shows here it validated who jesus said he was come on all right we're gonna go into fact number three here um three. here we go fact number three number three and that is the fact that christians nowhere in the bible are commanded or even encouraged to cast out demons. Now there is one scripture in Mark chapter 16 that you probably have seen me refer to and other people refer to this particular passage, but it's heavily debated and also there's some other issues with it. So let's just read it for just a moment. It says here, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. See, there it is. And they will speak in new languages. Okay. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Now, in this text, we see five things. Five things that basically says that if you believe, these five signs shall accompany you. Now, some people will say, okay, well, it says it right here. You should do these things, right? But you cannot separate one of these things or two of these things from the other three, right? So if not every believer is laying on hands and people are getting healed, that means that not every believer is going to be able to cast out demons. If every believer is not casting out demons, that means that not every believer is going to speak in tongues and you get the point, right? So you cannot just rip these verses out of context and make them say what you want them to say. Now, aside from all of this, another major problem with Mark 16 uh, verses 9 through 20 is that it is not even found in the earliest manuscript. So that also brings this particular passage into question. Fact number four, Chris. Okay, so that was fact number three. Fact number three right. was, and I'm quoting him. Guys, I know it sounds, for some of you who are in the chat, you're like, this sounds crazy. I'm going to quote word for word. Christians are never encouraged encouraged or commanded to cast out demons. So my big issue with that is he doesn't just say Christians are never commanded. He says they're not even encouraged to cast out demons. And then he goes on to talk about Mark 16 is heavily debated. But go ahead, Mike, start us off here, and then we'll jump in here. Okay, so I'm going to take this to a level of depth right now that brings in context because all good exegesis is Jesus is uh, reliant on context, right? But here's the here's the thing, because I, I was thinking about this all day. So let me read it again. Fact number three, Christians are never encouraged or commanded to cast out demons. And I, now I don't believe that, but it was presented as a fact, okay? So right. I, now let's throw out Mark 16. Yeah, okay? we're not even gonna use that tonight at all. We're not using Mark 16 for those of you that are watching. So say it again, Pastor Mike, so that they could understand because they're thinking that we're going to come from Mark 16. Say it again. One college chancellor specifically called me and said, do not use Mark 16 because you know that's not going to fly. So I just want to go on record. We don't need it. We don't need it. But I, but I am, am going to introduce a level of depth here. Okay, I'm going to take you quickly to Matthew chapter 14. So Jesus, his disciples are in a boat. All of a sudden, there's some wind, some waves, and he comes walking out on the water, and they all think he's a ghost. But then Peter does this 
seemingly crazy thing. He gets out on the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. And why does he walk on water, right? Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper. So Jesus, I want to bring the context to this because it's to me, this like literally seals the deal. This is like the nail in the coffin moment. It, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi with Jewish disciples. We all kind of can agree on that, right? Yeah. Living in first century Jewish community. So Jesus grew up in a region called the Galilee. And people in this region, they believe that God had spoken to Moses and had given him the first five books of the Bible, which we know is the Torah. So Torah was the center of their entire lives and it was the focus of their educational system. So just follow me because I'm making a point here. Most Jewish boys would go to school in the local synagogue around the age of six. And they, this would be their first level of education. It's called Beit Sefer. That's what it was called. And then they would spend from six to around the age 10. And each kid would literally learn to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Totally memorized, which is crazy. Okay. Then after that, if they had the chops after the age of 10, they would go, graduate to the next level, which is Beit Sefer. So most kids at this point couldn't make it to that level and they would start learning their family businesses, their trade. They would just basically start doing how to keep the home, okay? But if you were the best of the best, you would go on to that level. And then there was this, this next level, Beit Talmud, right? And uh, just follow me. So all this is centered around memorizing to get to this last and final stage, which now you're a teenager and it's Beit Midrash. And this is essentially when you would go and say, I made it through every round. I'm not learning my family trade. And now I'm coming to you, a local rabbi, and I'm asking to request to follow you and to take up your yoke, which is your interpretation of scriptures. And so here's the thing that's so crazy. When you delete all the Jewish context out of the New Testament, you miss the point of what it means to be a disciple. It wasn't our relationship as a pupil and a teacher. Because in our educational systems, we are simply trying to learn information. But in their context, it is, I will do what the rabbi does. Mm. So here's the thing. And this is why I believe that this is the nail in the coffin moment. When Jesus came to fishermen, tax collectors, a physician, they had those other professions because they had already proven they couldn't make it through all the layers of doing what a rabbi could do and knowing what a rabbi could know. So when Jesus shows up and he's moving in supernatural power, healing the sick, casting out demons, the th and I'm going to come all the way back now to Matthew chapter 14, when, when a Jewish man watched Jesus walking on water who asked him to follow him mm. and take his yoke of interpretation of scriptures, what That's he was saying good. was, I know I can oh. walk on the water because he walks on the water. So the fundamental, most basic element of being a disciple is not you learn what your rabbi knows exclusively. The, the ultimate is I do what they do, which means every single time they saw Jesus cast out a demon, they were like, my rabbi taught me that. And then as that echoed through the first century church, they were all saying, this is what discipleship means. It goes all the way back to Jesus. We will do exactly what he did. And so the idea of being a disciple of Jesus in 2022, too, but you don't believe that you should cast out demons mm. means that you don't even know the Jewishness of Jesus. That would have been, that's the main expectation. Whatever he does, you do it too. So good, man. <laughs> that was so good. And I'm guessing that Ellen Parr, when he says this, I'm assuming he doesn't 
he's considering the disciples or the apostles not Christians because he says no Christian is ever told to or recommended to cast out demons but John 20 21 he said peace as the father sent me so I am sending you so right. as the father sent me to the world what the father sent me to do cast out demons heal the sick save I'm sending you to do then he breathed and said receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive anyone's sins they are forgiven if you not forgive them they're not forgiven so this is Jesus to his disciples saying be to right. the world what I am to the world. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to give you the power to be to the world what I am to the world. But here's, here's the one thing I want to make here, point I want to make. John 14, 12. This is so basic, guys. I know people say you have to exegete Greek this. Just, just very basic here. I tell you the truth. This is John 14, 12. Anyone who believes in me. Okay, so what's the first prerequisite? Belief. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. So now we're, we're zooming out from the 12 disciples, the 72, the Philip, Paul, forget about all of them. Jesus says, anyone now, I'm gonna broaden the scope to anybody that believes in me. So if you're in the chat, there's uh, 10,000 of you watching, praise the Lord. If any of you believe in me, you're gonna do the same works I've done and even greater because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus did not say, you 12 disciples, those 12 that believe in me will do the same works I've done. He didn't say the 72. He said anybody. So this is like eternal, an eternal statement that from now until I come back and establish my government on the earth, you're going to do the works I've done and even greater. But here's the key, believing in me. You have to believe this stuff. The same thing right. with Mark 16, which we're not using. If you believe these signs follow you. Now you might say, well, why don't I cast out devils? Why don't I heal the sick? Because you don't believe. And if you're preaching against deliverance or you don't believe in deliverance, you're never going to see deliverance. I, I wrote one time, if you're afraid of deliverance and casting out demons, don't worry, you'll never see it. Because pastors are like, I'm afraid of deliverance. I'm like, don't worry. You're never going to have to deal with it because only those who are willing to believe are going to see it. Now we know, I just want right. to say something here and I'll pass it to you, Pagani. Uh, the first commission, which Jesus told the disciples cast out demons is Matthew 10. He told them to go preach, heal the sick, raise yep. the dead, cure lepers and cast out demons. So right there, he's telling them to. Second commission was Luke chapter 10. He sent the 72. Now this ruins the whole argument because the 72 were not apostles. These were disciples and followers of Jesus that were sent out and they went and cast out devils. And then again, we don't, we're not using Mark 16, but Mark 16, he said it earlier. These signs shall follow in my name will cast out demons. Here's my fear guys. Now I'll leave with this and then I'll point it over. My fear is if we take out Mark 16, we know there's a lot of debate. We can go into the story of the manuscripts right. being removed. They weren't in the earliest manuscripts, but here's the bottom line. Let's just all agree on this. They're in our Bibles right now. So don't get on here and try to preach out of the New King James or the NLT, which I believe he used the NLT in this video, and then try to tell me Mark 16 doesn't belong in the Bible when you're actually quoting Mark 16. So does it belong or does it not belong? And then if it doesn't belong, what else do we think is supposed to be there? What else isn't the original manuscript? What else wasn't copied? What else do we take out of the equation? So I personally do not ascribe to the fact that we take out Mark 16, although we're not using it as a point of argument tonight. I do not right. ascribe to that. I believe Mark 16 supposed to be there divinely by God, whether it was in the early manuscripts or not. It's in our Bibles. I read the New King James. I read the NLT. So I'm not going to come and say, oh, I don't like, you know, everyone casting out devils or healing the sick or picking up. Which, by the way, let me just say this last thing. Um, in the book of Acts, they actually did pick up serpents and they didn't die. Paul got bit by a snake and the snake didn't I'm kill him. Right. So that is not about snake handling or drinking poison for, on purpose. It's, a, it's about divine protection. So anyone that tries to twist it saying, well, then you should be handling snakes, that's complete arrogance because it's talking about God is going to divinely protect you, which happened in the book of Acts. They spoke in tongues. They cast out devils. They were divinely protected many times and they were protected from snakes when a snake bit Paul. So again, I want to make something clear, guys. You guys can touch on that. 
I do not ascribe to Mark 16 shouldn't be there. I don't believe in Mark. I believe Mark 16, 17. I believe anyone that believes in cast of devils, all of that. I know it's a point of contention, but if it really is that big of a deal, then just rip it out of your Bible. And, and you haven't done that. None of you have done that. I would never do that. So I think it's damaging for us to say, and I've heard several guys say this on YouTube. We're just going to, you know, that's not supposed to be there. So let's just get rid of that because it's not supposed to be there. That scares me. I, I don't want to start taking stuff out if it's in, if it's in the Bible. Well, I'll just say this real briefly. Matthew chapter 10, verse one, Jesus calls the disciples together and he gives them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. So Matthew chapter 10, verse one is parallel to what you read in Mark 16. So yep. it's like, it's not like what you see in Mark is a total yep. contradiction of the character and actions of the disciples in Jesus. And it's not some random thing, you know? So it's like, okay, you want to throw that out? That's fine. And then what do you do with Matthew chapter 10, verse one? You know, to echo to echo a little bit what they've been saying and to kind of go back to what uh, my brothers were saying is, well, uh, Isaiah said first, he said that the reason why um, that many of you aren't going out and casting out demons, well, obviously it's because you don't believe. The second th reason I'm going to add to that is this, is that you're confused. You're confused when you watch videos like Alan Parr of what we're discussing today. So when you watch a video like today, uh, so therefore in your mind, you just come yeah. to the conclusion, well, I don't know, should I or shouldn't I? So it's either two things that are happening. It's one, you don't really believe what Jesus said, or two, you're confused as to what some YouTube or some uh, biblical teacher has said concerning casting out demons. But going back to what Mike said um, is very simple. John chapter 13 says, and Jesus said this, he says, what you see me do, you yep. go do. Yep. Notice how he didn't just only say what you hear me say. Come on. So there's two things that we, uh, in carrying his yoke and being his disciple is built on two things, what we hear him say and what we see him do. So Jesus said in John chapter four, uh, 13, he said, what you see me do in this instance, you go and do likewise. So that means that there is a premise that even though there's, there isn't a scripture that actually says, go forth and cast out demons. No. Did Jesus cast out demons? Yes. So therefore we're going to do what he did. That's yep. where that rests on. So it's two things for the Christian. We do what we hear him say. So if Jesus said, go forth, cast out demons. We go and do it. Why? Because that's what Mary, his mother said. Whatever he says, yes. you do. He said that to the servants in the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Whatever he says, you go and do. And then in John chapter 13, it's not whatever he said. is what you see me do. Now you go and do. So the premise by which the Christian faith or all ministry is expressed and carried out based on the Great Commission is built on two things. One, what we hear him say. And two, what he did, yes. we see him do. So if Jesus cast out demons, we cast out demons. If the early church cast out demons, we cast out demons. Even if it's not actually implied with a scripture in verse or throughout the book of Acts, that does not mean that we don't do it because it's not written. What we do... Listen, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It means mm. that they were doing what they saw Jesus do. <laughs> it's the Acts of the Apostles, not the words of the Apostles. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. So it's built on two things. So right there, I have a problem. I have a problem with fact number three, which is why I put the video out. Because it's not just do what Jesus said, it's also do what Jesus did. I'll leave it there. And I would say too, is he didn't, again, guys, he didn't just say we were never commanded. He said we were never 
uh, encouraged. Like we never, we're never encouraged to cast out demons. And in the most basic sense, I would just say, just thinking about this, if you're a follower of Christ, then you are a Christian, which means you represent Christ on the earth. And it, it, what Pagani just said, if you, if he cast out demons, I'm a little Christ, a Christian, you know, Christ living in me. I'm a representative ambassador. We talked about earlier of him on the earth, then I'm called to do what he did. So it's not even like this deep theological, you know, rocket science. It's basic. I'm a Christian. I do what Christ did. I don't need a scripture to encourage me, even though there are scriptures that encourage me. Now, if I, guys, if I read Matthew 10 or Mark 16 or Luke 10, and I see the disciples cast out demons, I automatically am encouraged to go cast out devils because I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a disciple, a follower. So yes, we are, for the record, just to end this point, we are commanded and commissioned and called and encouraged to cast out demons if you are a disciple. Now, if you're not a disciple, you're not commanded or encouraged. You don't have to do it. But if you're a true disciple of Jesus, then yes, absolutely. In the most basic sense, we're commanded. Okay, we're going to get into this one. Fact number four. Let's, let's watch this right here. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. We can be influenced by demonic activity and demonic presence, but we cannot be demon-possessed. Now, I have a whole other video that I have. It's on the screen right here. I put a card somewhere up there. I put a link in the description where you can watch it right. Basically, answer the question, can demons, or excuse me, can Christians be demon-possessed? I'm not going to go through all of that, but let me just quote a couple of scriptures for you, and I want you to consider whether these scriptures sound like a Christian can be demon-possessed. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it says here, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, does that verse sound like we are able to be possessed by a demon, right? I mean, can we be influenced by a demon? Yes, but to suggest that that demon owns me, that demon controls me, that demon possesses me, I'm in possession of that particular demon, when this says that God has bought me with a price and that the Holy Spirit lives in me. So it is the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in me. Do you really think the Holy Spirit is going to let some evil spirit come in and take up residence within me to possess me and to control me? No. So Christians cannot be demon-possessed. We can be demon-influenced. Another scripture is in 2 Corinthians 6. It says, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? So basically, how can there be harmony within the same body between the Holy Spirit and the devil? He said that's impossible. Now, fact number five. So we're going to get into this. So fact number four was Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Now, on record, every single one of us on this video believe that. Christians cannot 100%. be demon-possessed but they yep. can be influenced by demons. But I want to point something out and we'll talk about that a bit in here. He uses two verses to say that a demon can't dwell in the same place uh, the Holy Spirit dwells or be inside of a Christian, which we don't believe that because a demon could absolutely dwell inside of a Christian. I'm going to show you the two verses he used and I'm going to also show you how he used them out of context. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do not do you not realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. 
That's what he uses for Christians can't have a demon because we're a temple of God. But the problem is he uses it out of context because that verse is not about demons. It's about sexual immorality. And Come this on. is what they're, they're always going to say, guys that teach the Bible, is let the text interpret the text. And the way you do that is just back up five verses and see what is the text saying. And I'll show you in 1 Corinthians 6.15. So let's go back a few verses and see what is the context of this verse. And this is the context, guys. Listen closely. Do you not realize that your body is actually parts of Christ? Should, should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And do you not realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says, two are united into one, but the person who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Then verse 18, run from sexual sin. So what is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about demons living in us? No, Paul's talking about sexual sin. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Then he goes, this is what Alan used, is verse 19 and 20, which is what he says, a demon can't dwell in us because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to be contextually literate here and honest, this is nothing to do with the demon dwelling in us, with everything to do with sexual immorality. That our bodies are the temple of God, physical bodies, and if you wouldn't go take Jesus to a prostitute, when you go with a prostitute, you're doing that. So it's not about demons. There's no reference to demons here. Not about demons. Okay, next one I want to say he goes on to talk about is 2 Corinthians 6.15. He says, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer partner with an unbeliever? Okay. So he's using this text. Um, uh, did I have the wrong verse here? I think I might have the wrong verse here. Um, I think I might have gave you the wrong verse before or no. Am I, am I giving the right one here? Let me see. I have it mixed up here. Okay. But I want to, I want to talk about it. He says, what harmony can there be between a Christ and the devil? How can a believer partner with an unbeliever? So here he's saying, how can there be harmony with a person here and harmony with a person there? Um, if we have the Holy Spirit, there's no harmony, right? But Paul's talking about, if you go to the verse prior in second Corinthians, I have a verse wrong. One of these, but in second Corinthians six fourteen, this is the context again. Do not be unevenly yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? And this is the verse everybody goes to to say Christians can't have demons, right? And what accord is Christ with Belial and what some translations say Satan or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So the specific text here is again, not about demons dwelling in us. It's about right. partnering with the unbelievers. Guys, here's my issue. I'm going to be honest and candid about this. One thing that I think is dishonest is how guys will argue these statements and they'll say, well, Isaiah's not contextually right. Let the text interpret the text. But then when it fits their narrative, they take scriptures like these two out of context and say, these right. are demons dwelling in people. When both texts that Alan just named, which I got, I believe the first uh, address wrong. Oh no, I think I got it right. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 2 Corinthians yep. 6, 14. I'm sorry, I got it right. Both texts, one is about sexual immorality, the first verse he used. The second verse is about partnering with unbelievers. No demons anywhere there. So my, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to rail on Alan Parr, but I'm saying, be fair. Don't tell us you're not being contextually right. You know, he commented back to my comment saying, you know, no scholar would ever agree with you. Your context is wrong. Your exegesis is wrong. Don't come at me telling me my exegesis is wrong when the two verses you use to give your statement are both out of context. And this is not debatable. I'm not like giving my opinion. There's no one in the world that would say those verses are about a demon living in someone because there's no demon in those verses. So I want to be clear on that. And I think the big misunderstanding comes and let me just say it here. There's no such thing as possessed in the Greek. The word possessed is not in the Greek language. The word demonized got translated in the New King James to possess with devils, but there's nowhere in the Bible that is in the Greek possessed with devils. It's just demonized. So biblically, when 
when it comes to demons, there's no such thing as possession and there's no such thing as oppression. It's just bit, it's demonized. Jesus never in anywhere in the New Testament makes a distinction between oppression and possession and neither should we. So the question is not, can a Christian be demon possessed? It's could a Christian be under the power of a demon? Ellen Parr agrees they can. We agree they can, but Ellen Parr says they can't live in a believer. And here's the issue I have with that. There's no scripture where Jesus cast demons off of people. He only cast demons out of people. So that means if Jesus is casting demons out of people, there's no verse that says he cast them off, then demons must live inside of us. And the basic answer to that is demons live in a different place than the spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in our spirit, man, but our flesh, our soul, the Bible says nothing good lives in the flesh. It Come actually on. says lives, dwells. That word dwell means to live in something. And the Bible says nothing good lives in the flesh. So the Holy Spirit does not live in your flesh. The soulish realm, the fleshly realm, which we don't have to go into that teaching. We all know that we're multiple parts. That's where the demons dwell. So how could the Holy Spirit and a demon live in the same person? Very easily. They live in different places in the person. We're not one. We're not just one thing. We're multiple compartments. And that's how a demon could. Now, to say that a Christian can't have a demon, just listen closely, everybody here, is to say that there's no point in deliverance ministry. Here's why. If a Christian can't have a demon, then all I need to do is get you saved and the demons automatically leave, which voids deliverance. Why would mm -hmm. Jesus cast out demons if he can just lead them to him and then once they get saved? So there's no verse that says a Christian can't have demons. The two verses that they always use are both out of context. And there's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus said a Christian can't have a demon. And the other thing I have to say is if a Christian could have sickness and cancer, which can be demonic according to Luke chapter 13, then why can't they have a demon? People say, well, a Christian could have infirmity and sickness and a spirit of infirmity, but they can't have a demon. If they could have sickness in them, even though the Holy Spirit lives there, my argument would be, how could the Holy Spirit and cancer live in the same body? Is anybody listening tonight in the chat? How could I'm the on. Holy Spirit and diabetes live in the same body? Very carefully, because the disease is in my actual physical body. The Holy Spirit's in my spirit, man. So again, we don't need a hundred verses here, guys. We all believe Christians cannot be possessed because possession is not a biblical reality. And there's no Greek word for the word possession. It was translated from a, a Greek word that means under the power of a demon into the word possession. I never use the word possessed ever. It, I, right. I always say demonized. I never use the word oppressed because it confuses people and it, it isn't a biblical reality. You guys want to jump in on this? Yes, I want to jump in and then we'll pass it off to Mike if he has something. Let me just go back and just kind of reiterate some things that you said. Number one, I saw Alan's comments on his video in which you commented and he began to quote various scholars. Well, let me just point this out. Uh, scholars can be wrong. Preach. I know that we recommend and that we adhere to their scholarly uh, years of study, but scholars can get it wrong. They are human, they are finite. They can mess up and they can miss it just like anyone else, just like people think that we miss it. Um, so can scholars uh, miss it. So to, to be able to quote a scholar, I, Okay, so the second thing I want to say is this. The whole idea that every time the, the ministry of deliverance comes up, they go right into yep. Christians can't be demon-possessed. I think at this point, it's a red herring or it's a straw man argument, plain and simple, because they know in your hearts that that is not what we mean. Now, for the sake of, let's just use, let me, let me, let me flip it and just go on the opposite end of what Isaiah said. Let's say we did use the word possess. Well, then the struggle right now um, is based on etymology which means the origin of words. So let's just say, let's just say Christians can be possessed by an evil spirit. I'm just, I'm, I'm being a little bit like prophetically and biblically sarcastic here because Isaiah literally said what we, we want, what we wanted to say and where we stand. But let's just use this. I think the struggle is in the origin of words. The word possess is also a homonym. So you got the word possess and then you got the word possess, which means it's the same word, but two different meanings. 
So for the sake of argument and this whole idea of Christian can have a demon, are you guys, are you guys saying that Christian can have a demon? Okay, number one, when we say a Christian can have a demon, we're not saying that a Christian can be possessed, owned by. Mm. But what we are saying is a Christian can possess a demon, which means have a demon. It's the same word. Possess means owned. And then there's a homonym to that word, possess. It means to have. Now let me ask you a question. Does our house have roaches? Of course it does. Let me, let me even flip it. Does our house have spiders? Of course it does. Does it have ants? Of course it does. Our house possesses ants. Ants don't possess our house. Mm. So when we say, can a Christian have a demon, just for the sake of being biblically sarcastic right now, it's really an argument of etymology, yeah. the origin of words, possess and possess. It's a homonym fight that we're having. When we say, can a Christian have a demon? We don't mean owned by. What we mean is possess as in have. So I want to make that emphatically clear to dear brother Allen that it, the struggle right now and the straw man for the, anyone else that wants to argue with us is it's a red herring at this time. We don't mean possess as in owned by. We mean homonym as possess as in have. It's good. Mike is really on. good. I've got just one quick thing, and, and it, this is more of a reasonable, rational appeal to those of you who still don't believe what was just like meticulously presented to you. In all of my years of ministry, I have now come to the belief that it is spiritually irresponsible Say to it. use the Christians can't have demons. And let me tell you why. The people I minister to think that they're a Christian because they go to church. The people I minister to think that they're a Christian because other people in their family are Christians and they were raised Christian. Okay. And so when you say that phrase, now, apart from all of the scriptures and the theology and the word origins that were presented to you, I want to present the last and final blow to this stronghold. So we can just bring the whole thing down. There are many people who've confessed and admitted their sins, but never repented of their sins. Mm. And so you can have this situation, this circumstance where you are deceived thinking that you're Christian because you listen to Christian worship music and you go to church. But, and, and I think that's, that's why I, I don't care whether you're charismania, Pentecostal emotionalism, or you're on the other end of the spectrum with the reform community, the gospel coalition to use that phrase, a Christian can't have a demon is spiritually irresponsible now because people don't even know what it means. We are now in a post-Christian world. So they don't even know what it means to be a Christian. And so I can't tell you how many times I've taught the difference between admitting your sin and repenting of it and watched entire churches, including the ministry team, actually become true believers in that moment. That's so good. And I would say there's, I challenge guys with this all the time. There's not one verse in the Bible that says Christian can't have demons. So before you keep poking at us, we have Acts chapter five, Ananias was filled with Satan. We have Judas filled with Satan. We have Peter was filled with Satan. We have verses that imply, even we can argue the seven deliverances Jesus did. Those people believed in him. They came to him for deliverance many of them he was in the synagogues mark 139 so we could argue that all day but you have no great, great uh, leg to stand on when you say christians can't have demons all right let's go to the next point here and the new testament gives us instructions on how to handle demonic influences let me run through several of them it says that we are to put the full armor of god on in ephesians chapter 6 it says in james chapter 4 we are to resist the devil and then it says in 1 Peter 5, we are to be on alert for the devil. And then it says in Ephesians 4, we are not to give the devil room to work in our lives. We're not to give him a foothold in our lives in any way. And then it says in 2 Corinthians 2, that we are not to be ignorant of the schemes 
or the devices or the plans of the devil. So the Bible gives us clear instructions on how to handle the devil and how to handle demons. Now, on the contrary, the Bible does not give us any instructions whatsoever about how to go about performing an exorcism. There are no clear instructions that are given to us saying, hey, whenever you come across this demon, other than prayer and fasting, other than that, there's no clear instructions that have been given to us as believers to tell us, hey, this is exactly how this is done. So the question we have to ask is, if this was something that God wanted to be a regular part of a Christian's life or every Christian's life, don't you think that God would have given us more explicit clearer instructions on exactly how to perform this other than just leaving it up to us to figure out what to do when we come across somebody who we believe is demon possessed. And let me be clear, there are some people who are demon possessed, right? The question is, do we as Christians, every Christian, should I say, have the authority to cast out any demon? And that leads me to fact. So his argument and uh, fact number five is the New Testament gives us instructions for how to handle demonic influences. And then he's going to imply later, which we'll talk about, um, if the Bible wanted us to cast out demons, and I've heard several, I don't think Ellen's reformed for the record, but I've heard several reformed guys in the bait say, there's not one verse that teaches us, and if God wants to know, he would teach us how. So he reads Ephesians 6.10, which is the armor of God, James 4.7, resist the devil, 1 Peter 5.8, be on alert, Ephesians 4.27, don't give room for the devil, 2 Corinthians 2.11, do not be ignorant. And I want to say this and then ellen says these are the instructions on how we're supposed to handle demons so we don't cast them out these are how we handle demons but these verses are about preventing demons not about casting them out every one of these verses is a preventative verse from the devil coming into us after being saved guys these are written to believers paul saying now that you're a believer you need to prevent the devil from coming in so you need armor now just think about this. Putting on armor is good, but putting on armor is preparation for battle, not the actual battle. There's no Navy SEAL. There's no guy in the army that puts on his, his BDU and puts on his gun and say, okay, I just did the battle and takes his armor off. The armor getting put on is for the battle. The battle is going against the devil head on. So resisting the devil is good, but resisting the devil does not get demons out of you. I know tons of you that have demons and say, I'm just going to resist because that's how the Bible tells me to, to fight demons. No, it doesn't. It says cast them out. Resisting demons does not get them out of you. It keeps them from getting into you. So all right. the verses he mentions are preventative measures, not direct confrontation with demons, which is what Jesus did. Jesus confronted the devil and so did the disciples in Mark 1. The Bible says he went from synagogue to synagogue, casting out demons. Now, he says the Bible never tells us to how to perform a deliverance or an exorcism. And if we're supposed to, the words of Ellen Parr are, then the Bible would give us some instructions on it. And this is a very simple answer. The original audience of the scripture were already casting out demons. So it's like saying you need to teach a fish how to swim. You need to teach a NASCAR driver how to drive a car. You don't need to teach me something I'm already doing. So why is Paul going to write to the church, this is how you cast out demons when it was normal occurrence in the New Testament church? And if you go study church history, exorcisms, deliverance, they're all, whatever you want to call them, have been a part of church history since the church was founded in the book of Acts. It's not a new thing. It's been going on forever. Um, again, the New Testament is small, so we don't always have explicit evidence uh, uh, descriptions. John 21 says not everything's in the Bible. We know that all of the Bible is in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. And John 21 literally tells us that. And so you have to understand and you have to remember that just because we're not explicitly told something doesn't mean it's not a biblical thing to do. And let me give you an example. We talk about tithing every single week, okay? And my, people might say, well, we always talk about tithing, but let me just reality check for some of you. Tithing is mentioned this many times in the New Testament. 
one time, and it's when Jesus was rebuking Pharisees, and he said, you guys tithe and do this. But guys, what do we talk about every week? You got to tithe, you got to tithe, you got to tithe. So you're telling me that the Bible doesn't talk about demons or how to do it, so we shouldn't do it, yet you talk about tithing every week. Let me just burst another bubble. There's not one named pastor in all of scripture. So there's not one guy in the scripture named pastor, yet every church on every corner has a pastor. No apostles, no prophets, which by the way, there's named apostles, there's named prophets, there's named evangelists, and there's no named pastors in scripture, yet everybody's a pastor. So just because the Bible doesn't explain how to do something doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. They were already doing it. And then lastly, just to refute one more thing, Here's why the Bible doesn't teach us to cast out demons, because it's simple. It's the same reason why the Bible doesn't teach us how to heal the sick, because you lay your hands on them and you command them to be healed in Jesus' name. Casting Come out on. demons is not complicated. You command the demon to leave in Jesus' name. It's very, very simple. The reason why we all have books and teachings is because we're trying to introduce people in a culture that doesn't cast out demons how do and why they should. But in that culture, remember, the Bible was not written to us in 2022. Paul was not thinking about you. Paul was thinking about the audience that he was writing to, and they were already doing deliverance, so they don't need to get taught something they're already doing. So I would just say there's a lot of things we're not taught how to do. The Bible doesn't teach us how to live stream. Doesn't mean we shouldn't live stream. So I would say we don't need the Bible to explicitly give instruction. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell me exactly where I should take my wife shopping or when I should take her out on dates or, you know, I should get a babysitter once a week to love my wife. I don't need to, the Bible to tell me these things. I know to do them. It's the character of God. And so I could go on and on about what the Bible doesn't tell us to do, but I think it's a bad argument to say, well, if the Bible wanted us to, it would say, go ahead, Pagani. I know you got something here. Yeah. Well, you know, if the Bible wanted us uh, to uh, follow everything that we need to do, then why doesn't the New Testament show us how to have a church service? Go ahead. All throughout the book of Acts, we only told how the believers in the early church had prayer services. Like all throughout the book of Acts, it's just prayer, 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 prayer. Yet we don't, we don't really find that one New Testament uh, way on how we can have a church service. So where did we get our order of services for our worship celebrations? You know, open up in prayer, three fast songs, a slow song, collect the offering, you know, do the preaching, three points, and then do an altar call, and then the conclusion and the benediction. Where do we develop all of that? We develop all of it based on one thing, being led by the Spirit. Yes, yes. The Apostle Paul said, be led by the Spirit. Why? That is the beauty of being a Christian, that even though it's not explicitly written and outlined, that's the beauty of being a believer, that we are walking by the Spirit. We are in a journey. We are exploring. Now, let me just say this in favor of uh, of Alan. I understand why he can kind of wrestle with this, because, yes, sometimes people being led by the Spirit ends up in sensationalism, ends up in error, ends up with some goofy, weird stuff that we see on TV that we have to, like, clean up. Amen? I'm with you on that. But just because uh, someone abuses it, like Pastor Mike said, doesn't mean it should be our excuse to not do it. So in the New Testament, we don't have an order of services. All we have is how to have prayer services. But nevertheless, we know how to have or how we carry out our prayer service. And while we're at it, let's address this whole idea of prescriptive and descriptive. And explain I think those terms for those that don't understand what those terms mean. Yeah. Okay, descriptive means basically what the what they actually did in its historical context, which means this is what they did. You know, they gathered together on the shore of Ephesus and they had prayer. It's descriptive. Prescriptive means you and I see that verse and then we go to Orchard Beach in the Bronx and we just say we got to build a church on right here on the shore. Why? Because the early church did it on the shore of, on, of the shores of Ephesus. That's what is prescriptive. That's also kind of mixed with eisegesis. Eisegesis is taking one portion of scripture 
and removing it out of context and then building a whole doctrine out of that. Let's let's kind of let's kind of let's kind of deal with this whole idea because I know that right now my reform brothers, this is where they're wrestling with, and ideally they go into you guys are all you know into dis- uh, prescriptive, and that's not what that means. Okay, let's 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 address this descriptive and prescriptive. The Apostle Paul actually addressed this in two portions of scripture one in first corinthians chapter seven now i'm going to read it to you so that you can see that i'm quoting scripture now watch this the apostle paul um said in first corinthians chapter seven verse 29 listen to this he said for whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning Mm. now that by default lets us know that everything was written before time was written for our for our learning now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8, when Paul started describing, watch this, the issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 was the topic of giving. Isaiah just finished mentioning this whole thing about tithing. All right, so to give you the backdrop, the apostle Paul was not receiving um, the benefits of his apostleship, being that he was dependent on the churches that he had helped founded. The Corinthian church was lacking in their giving. So he had to explain to them the whole revelation of giving. And you want to know how he used it? He used the ox. He used an ox. And the ox is found in the book of Leviticus. And he starts talking about how the ox treadeth out the grain. And look what Paul says. Watch this. For all of us, be careful of being, you know, taking descriptive verses and then making them prescriptive. Well, in this text, it's just talking about an ox and how to handle your animals and how to do that. But look what Paul said. Paul said, am I expressing merely a human opinion? Or does the law of Moses say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Now look at the next verse. Look what Paul said with his prescriptive self. Look what he says. Was God thinking only about oxen? God care about oxen? And then he actually writes and says, no, he doesn't. But it was written for us. So that we that understand plowing and the one who threshes out the grain might both expect a share in the harvest. What is Paul saying? What is Paul saying? That if you go by this philosophy of be careful about being descriptive and prescriptive, which I say yes. Because some stuff, yes. Just going out on walking on the water, baby, be descriptive in that because you might drown. But sometimes you got to be careful when you start talking about be careful about the descriptive and prescriptive. Because in this text... Paul is talking about simply oxen. So if you read it with a descriptive mind, it's just historical context. God was writing about an oxen. But Paul took that and he took what was descriptive and he made it prescriptive and paralleled it to giving and the minister. So I want to tell our dear brother Alan, you have to be careful with this. Be careful about prescriptive and descriptive yes but sometimes your videos imply that anytime we read something in the old testament and we try to apply it in day-to-day life immediately people they default into be careful it doesn't mean that then why would paul use an ox you want to know why because an ox didn't really mean an ox an ox really meant the minister on how they should receive in the area of giving so he took what for many says is just a story about an animal descriptive Yes, in proper exegesis. But in New Testament, prescriptive in what? The ox doesn't mean ox. The ox is the minister. 
The one who plows, the one who plows, the one who plows in the vision and the one who plows and the one who threshes both receive. So I kind of want to address the whole prescriptive and descriptive thing and break that right now, because that is another straw man that we're destroying right now. And it is causing an immense amount of harm in the body of Christ, because what's written in the Old Testament, Paul just finished saying was for our learning, our learning for what? That God just cares about an ox? No. That it also parallels on how the ox represents also the minister and how they receive. I throw it off to Pastor Mike because so I believe good. he got You got anything here, bro? You know what? I couldn't have said it any better. I, th I think so we just good. at that point, honestly, you let's, slayed that. Let's go to the next point here. This to me, in my opinion, this is the most, um, this is the one I have the trouble with the most, but we're going to play this and you guys can watch. Fact number six, and that is the fact that exorcisms were very, very rare in the Bible. Outside of a few examples where Jesus Christ was casting out devils and then a few in the book of Acts and maybe a couple of references here and there. Other than that, there's not a lot of examples of demons being cast out of people in the Bible, nor was it prop, uh, common in the early church. And so if it wasn't common in the early church and it was a very rare occurrence in the New Testament, then why is it that we think that this should be something that is a regular occurrence or regular experience for believers, just going around casting out devils all the time? And fact number seven, I've been waiting to get to this one. All right, guys, here we go. So number this is the one I have the trouble with the most. He says, exorcism were very rare in the Bible. And then I quote, he says, outside of a few examples of Jesus and the disciples in Acts, it was very rare. Other than that, a lot of examples of demon, there was not a lot of examples of uh, demons being cast out of people, nor was it common in the early church. If it wasn't common in the early church and it was rare in the New Testament, I'm quoting him word for word, why is it we think that it should be common today? Now, first of all, Anybody that is watching this would probably agree that that's just completely false. Jesus did deliverance everywhere he went. This is how he launched his ministry, Mark 139. Let me just read one verse here. He traveled throughout Galilee, Mark 139, preaching in their synagogues. So this is Jesus traveling all through Galilee, preaching in synagogues, not one, but multiple, and driving out demons. Now that one verse, guys, if we don't talk about anything else, how is that deliverance is not common? Where he's everywhere he's going in every synagogue, He's casting out demons. Not only was it common there, if you go through that, all the gospels, it's common. It's also common in the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts. Let me just give you a picture here. In the gospels, Jesus did 16, type 16 in the chat, 16 specific healing miracles. Okay, 16. That's the total number of healing miracles Jesus did. But Jesus did seven deliverances. So almost 50% as much healings, he did deliverances. Would that be considered very, Ellen, Ellen says, I'm not, I'm not putting words in his mouth, very rare in the Bible. Absolutely not. And in many times, which I'll quote one, Matthew 8, 16, it says when evening had come, they brought to him many, not very few, not very rare, many who were demon possessed and he cast out spirits and healed all that were ill. So you're going to see this over and over again. It was never uncommon. Everywhere Jesus went, he's casting out demons. He's getting off of his boat, casting out demons. He's entering town, casting out demons. He's synagogue to synagogue, casting out demons. They're bringing many people to him, which if you look at many, it means a lot. It means the mass majority. They're bringing a massive amount of people to him and he's casting demons out of them. It's not rare. And I want to say this, guys. Deliverance is not rare in other countries. 
And I just want to tell Ellen this, Ellen, just because deliverance is rare in America or maybe the church you go to, or maybe the people you're around, if you talk to anyone in the chat that's watching from Africa, from India, from Indonesia, from Thailand, from pretty much any country, they're going to say, why are you guys even arguing tonight about deliverance? Deliverance yeah. is normal. It happens every single week. Um, now, are there reasons why the church is not seeing deliverance and it's uncommon in the church today? Yeah. Ignorance is one of them. Laziness is one of them. You want to know why deliverance is rare? It, people are lazy. Deliverance takes work. You can't go out on your golf club every weekend when you have to do deliverance. Um, pastors don't want their demons exposed. And also, they don't believe deliverance is necessary or essential. So pastors say it's normal, which... We're going to go into the next point here. Another one that kind of just gets gets under my skin. They'll say it's normal to lust. It's normal to be addicted. It's normal to be suicidal. And we don't need deliverance. Those things don't aren't caused by demons. That's absolutely wrong. It's not normal to be all these things. Deliverance is essential and we need to get back to it. And it's, it's common. It's happening in our lives every single week. So it's rare maybe if you make it rare. Exactly. I want to throw out a warning. Those who are capable of transferring knowledge are also capable of transferring error. And when I looked at fact number six, if you watch and consume content like on YouTube and Facebook passively, and you have not read your Bible, you would hear that and think it was true. Exorcisms were very rare in the Bible. Now he doesn't quantify it. Isaiah has just quantified it but he did not quantify it. So if you don't know what the synoptic gospels are and you haven't read through the New Testament and you just said, well, when I consume information, I consume it passively, you'll think, well, okay, that's true. But fact number six was so wrong, it confused me to even hear it. Yes. And I don't mean any disrespect to Alan Parr in saying that, it's just, uh, again, when you read the Bible, you see demons being cast out literally every so chapters through the gospels because of the ministry of Jesus. And then you see that extended through the early church. It was just a common, normal thing. And again, it's very difficult to put the word rare because rare um, insinuates that hardly ever. But if you read it for yourself, you'd be like, I don't think that I would attribute the word rare to what I just read, uh, the book of Matthew through Revelation. So, I mean, that's that's more of a warning. And this is yeah. why I encourage you guys, read your Bible for yourself. You know, this 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 point, you know, and this fact, it, it, it really frustrates me. You know, I, I thought this one would be a no-brainer, you know, because John chapter 21, verse 25 says, if Jesus, uh, all the miracles of Jesus had been written to make things common, then, then our Bible would literally be a, literally yeah. an encyclopedia-wide, yeah. vast library of books on the Word of God. Just because it's not written frequently in scripture doesn't mean it wasn't common, Alan. And I think you know this. I think at this one, you're just kind of pulling straws a little bit to kind of, I, I don't know, because obviously just because the Bible is actually telling us, the Bible tells us in the last verse of the, of the, new, of the book of John that they purposely didn't put in everything. Why? Because then the volume of the book would be this wide and this wide and this wide and this wide. So they weren't thinking, let's add this more so that way it can become common. No, they had it less because everything was still do what he did. Do you see so what I'm saying? Good. So this one frustrated me a lot. At this point, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what he was thinking, you know, and I'm not judging you, my brother, but at, th at this point, I think you might have been pulling a little bit of a straw man with this one. That's good. We're going to go to the next one here. Let's watch this next point. And this will be the last point, and then we'll go into the conclusion. And that's the fact that not everything that we think is a demon is really a demon, right? 
When people say, I cast out the demon of lust, the demon of lust, what are you talking about? Like, lust is a temptation that every single person deals with, every single Christian deals with, right? I cast out the demon of greed, right? No, no, no. Greed is a temptation. These things aren't demons, right? If you really want to know what a demon is, look at the New Testament. There are examples of people who were demon-possessed. Oftentimes, they were foaming at the mouth. They were going through convulsions. They were cutting themselves. They were hurting other people so much so that they actually had to be isolated so they wouldn't hurt people. That's a demon, right? But whenever we start casting out all these demons and things, a lot of things that we're casting out is not really demons. There's something else, but there's not really a demon. So to sum all of this up, we're going to go back into this here. Okay, so his last fact, number seven, I know the chat's going going fast here, is not everything we think is a demon is a demon. And do we all agree with that? Not, not everything is a demon. Let, we yeah. all agree on that. But we then agree. he says, um, lust, is, lust is not a demon, and I quote him, but a temptation every person deals with. with the, and he says, uh, every single Christian deals with lust. Greed is also temptation. These are not from demons. He uses Luke 9.38 to say deliverance was dramatic in scripture. And a lot of things that we're casting out are not actually demons. They're something else. He doesn't say what they are. He just says they're something else. I'm going to go on record here, guys, and be bold. And I'm going to say this. I'm not arrogant. I'm not proud. I do not deal with lust. And my wife could hear me in the other room. I do not deal with lust. And to say that every Christian deals with lust is totally false. In fact, I would exactly. say this is the most false statement in the entire video. To say every single Christian deals with lust, and I'm quoting him, that's to say that you know every single Christian. Just like he said, right. not, no, not one scholar would agree with your point on that in my comment. That means you know every single scholar's opinion on the matter, which is obviously impossible. So I do not deal with lust. Now you might say, Isaiah, why don't you deal with lust? Because 11 years ago, my little sister cast a demon of lust out of me several days after being saved, after speaking in tongues, after being born again, I had an actual spirit named lust, called lust that my sister drove out of me and I've been freed from pornography. I've never gone back to pornography. I do not lust when I'm at the mall, when I'm at the beach. I'm telling you guys, listen, maybe you struggle and I'm not here to bash or judge anybody in the chat. Right. I don't struggle with lust. I'm not checking out women. I'm not online like, I really don't want to get on that because I'm dealing with lust. I don't lust after people's possessions. I don't lust right. after money. I literally don't lust. So to say we all lust, this is this whole idea of every pastor has issues and every pastor has this and every... This is not true. And this is what we get when we don't have deliverance. So the last point he makes is an example of what happens when you don't have deliverance is you deal with things God never intended for you to deal with. Now, right. in the Bible, now he says lust is not a demon. It doesn't come from a demon. In the Bible, there are evil spirits, familiar spirits, foul spirits, lying spirits, deaf and dumb spirits, seducing spirits, spirits that work in the children of disobedience, spirits of infirmity, spirits of the Antichrist, and the spirit of death. So why would there not be, I'm, I'm asking Alan this, a spirit of lust. If there's a lying spirit, a foul spirit, a spirit of infirmity, an evil spirit, a wicked spirit, a seducing spirit, and it goes on and on, then why would there not be a spirit of pride, a spirit of greed, a spirit of anger? I, I don't know why some of these guys have such trouble thinking that, and I've heard many of them say this, that these things come from demons when they're absolutely come from demons. Demons cause you, tempt you, and do all the other stuff the Bible says they do. But yeah, I would say it's just not a true statement, bottom line. You know, um, and just to kind of echo what you're saying is, and you guys can test my spirit and pray about my next statement, but I recently just shared with you guys that as a pastor, I was addicted to pornography many, many years ago. And about six years ago, seven years ago, I got fully delivered. And I'm just telling Come you on. right here, I 
can say the same thing with what Isaiah is saying. I don't struggle with lust. Lust is not my issue. I am a happily married man. No one can accuse me of flirting when I travel this country preaching and teaching deliverance. Even when I travel alone, I'm not sitting here struggling. I don't even have, there are times that I don't even have to take anybody with me to travel. Why? Because that is not my vice. I already went in that world and I got delivered from that. So when I heard him kind of say that, I said, okay, now he's, 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 he's kind of pulling, kind of pulling it. But now let me just kind of throw out maybe something a little bit more reasonable. You know, um, the Bible does talk about a stronghold. The Bible does say a stronghold, but a stronghold, according to Luke chapter 11, is dominated by a strong man. Mm. There's a strong man that's there. So it's, it's actually, it's actually both. So when I hear that it's just this, it's just this, it's just one-sided. It's just, it's issues in your mind, issues in your mind, issues in your mind, issues in your mind. Yes, that's part of it. All right. But eventually your mind not regulated, a demonic entity comes and puts a bondage there in which you need deliverance. So I 100% agree with you. Lust really isn't my issue. Um, I got delivered from that and I'm not going down that path again. Um, and I've shared my story and I've been able to share my story because I got delivered from it. Yes. It's not an issue of mine. I'm not lusting in my head. I don't have a little, uh, a, a double eye on the women in my church. No one can ever accuse me of that. And on top of that, I don't have conversations with women and why because i really do live the billy graham rule i don't talk to women in my inbox i just don't do it maybe i i I just don't do it i don't have time to do that um so yeah so when i heard this last point i just said okay i just don't agree with it go ahead pass the mic yeah well this point when i heard it i immediately thought who is his intended audience who because when you're a preacher or a teacher you know when you drop a line if it's going to get an amen and who it's going to get an from so let me just now let me read this fact and then think about the audience. Not everything we think is a demon is a demon. So every single person who agrees with that starts amening you. The right. problem is the problem is you're alienating everybody who desperately needs deliverance. Come on. And so my thing is, if it's not a demon, let's check. I mean, because again, are we spiritually irresponsible? And this is why this is not a call out. This is a call up. I'm not calling Alan Parr out. I'm calling him up. This, the rhetoric and the language that we use online is it's limited and it's limiting the potential. And again, facts number seven, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. When you say not everything we think is a demon is a demon. Every person who needs deliverance is sitting there. And then, and then if they're persuaded by the amens of the people next to them, they could keep that thing for a long time instead of getting free. And so for me, We've got to be spiritually mature. We've got to be spiritually responsible with the way in which we talk about this. And so it's like when you wrote that fact number seven down and, you know, you in your preacher brain, you're like, oh, yeah, that'll hit. They'll get it again. Fact number seven. It really harkens back to the Benny Hinn clip. Mm-hmm. That's who that audience is for. But see, for those who but see Isaiah 61, man, I feel the anointing on this. Y'all, I'll, I will be a costal right now. Yeah. I, I 61, Jesus said, I didn't come for those who thought that they were free. I came for the captives to set the captives free. And so our primary mission, if it's the ministry of Jesus, is to say, I'm looking for, hey, if it's rare for people to have demons, then I'm going to go find the seven people who 
because my ministry is to set the captives free. It's like, I mean, listen, if we all do our part, exorcisms will be rare because we're going to send every single one of those foul demons globally into the pit. But the problem is it's not rare because y'all are saying stupid things like fact number seven, not everything's a demon. All right. Yeah. So anyways, and I rant. would say by saying not everything's a demon, then you let it, literally let the devil remain living in people rent free. He doesn't get challenged. He doesn't get confronted. And you in the chat say, oh, it's not a demon that I have thoughts all the time to kill myself. Oh, it's not a demon that I sit down to eat breakfast and I'm having disgusting, demented, uh, perverted right. thoughts about things I can't even mention on the air without getting demonetized and flagged. And it's not a demon. Uh, Alan Parr or so-and-so said it wasn't a demon. It's just I need to repent more. How's that been working for you? Let me just ask the chat that. How's that been yeah. working for you that it's not a demon? And again, not everything is a demon, but why not check? Why not get delivered? All three of us have openly said we're willing to go through deliverance at any time. We're always going through deliverance. I, I got to say something. I don't see these guys doing that. I, I don't think I could bet I've, that Ellen Parr's never said, if I need deliverance, I'm open to get deliverance or any of the guys that are preaching this for that matter. And I'm here saying, if I need deliverance and I'm dealing with lust, I'll get delivered. I don't need, if I've repented, I've prayed. We all know fasting, guys. We have hundreds of videos on our channel about prayer and fasting and holiness and discipline. Please hear what we're saying and not what we're not saying. Yeah. Um, we're telling you that not everything's a demon, but those that are, they must be dealt with because you can't counsel demons out. You know, I, I don't want to drop names here but there's some big name preachers saying it's normal to hear voices and i'm here to tell you it is not normal to hear voices in your head the no, flesh does not talk to you so if you're hearing hard. a voice telling you to do stuff or do that or kill yourself or go here it's the devil it's a spirit and you need to get delivered don't stay in bondage being convinced it's not a demon the devil loves it okay we are going to go into the final conclusion we'll give our closing thoughts after his position this is the last clip here and then we'll give our closing thoughts can Christians cast out demons? Well, I believe that it is possible for a Christian to cast out a demon. I'm not going to say that it's not, because why? The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I'm not going to say that that ability, that God cannot give a Christian the ability to cast out a demon. So let me be clear on that, right? I do believe that it is possible. I do believe that it happens on a regular basis. But I think much like the gifts of prophecy and miracles, that not everybody that prophesies is a prophet, not everybody who claims to do miracles and healings is a miracle worker and a healer. And I also think that not everybody who claims to be casting out demons is somebody who is really casting out demons. Personally, I think that a lot of times they may be motivated by a desire to want to seem more powerful and more spiritual or more anointed, if you will. And so I can cast out a demon and you can't. So that makes me more powerful or closer to God or whatever. That's my personal opinion, but I can't really speak definitively. So, yes, it's possible, but it's not happening more than likely as often as we think. So I would love to hear from you. What do you think about this idea of casting? His closing remarks are, I quote, yes, it's possible. And that's actually the way he said it. Yes, it's possible, but it's not happening likely as common as you think or it's not happening you know basically it's this whole undertone of it's not really happening all the guys that you see online all the people that you watch like a lot of it's not real a lot of it's fake it could happen and this is i heard a guy today that's reformed say a lot of people he says believe reform don't believe in miracles he said we believe in miracles we just believe they're very rare and only god does them sovereignly so it's like yeah god can cast out devils after after making seven points basically saying this is why you shouldn't you don't have to do deliverance then it's like well yeah but god can 
you know, but not everyone that does it is true. And there's a lot of the guys out there doing it that are just not really, you know, and I'm not putting words in his mouth. That's literally what he said. It's like not always happening as often as we think. I would, I would debate him and say it absolutely is happening all the time. I see a lot of my friends doing it. We're doing it every single week. I don't know anybody personally that's doing deliverance in his, in his words to just seem spiritual. Because here's the thing. Deliverance is an extreme amount of work. We do not get paid for it. And it's an act of love. It's not like, oh, I, I would love to go for four hours and cast demons and deal with people. It's an extreme amount of work. I don't know. I don't know. You guys might. I don't know anybody that's doing it to look more spiritual. I don't know anyone to do it that's doing it for clout. The people I know that are doing it are moved by compassion. And they're doing it because the Bible says to do it. So I would really push back on him and say, um, th that's not the case. And now I also want to say, I don't think he has right to even say what's going on in deliverance because he's not in deliverance. He's not in the deliverance stream. He's not in deliverance ministry. He doesn't cast out demons. That's not according to me. That's according to the video that you just watched. So for him to say it's not really happening, he's basically saying he's the judge of what's real and what's not. When in reality, who made him the judge of what's real and what's not? If he doesn't do deliverance, how does he know what's a real deliverance? Now we've done thousands of deliverances. We could probably say, hey, that's not a real deliverance. Like we've reason why we know is because we've done a lot of deliverances and that's not how deliverance looks. But for Ellen Parr, who's saying here is like, I don't I can't say definitively. Well, I can say definitively that every believer can cast out devils and God wants us all to do it. And I would say there's very few people I would say are faking it. I don't know anyone that's faking deliverance for whatever reason or that's making it up or wants to seem super spiritual because friend, when you do deliverance, you become a servant of the person you're delivering. You get in the dirt with that person. You get sweaty with that person. You get broken with that person. You weep with them. You spend time with them. You deal with their family, their issues, their dysfunction. And for hours sometimes, for multiple sessions, it's not glamorous. It's not this, oh, we just did it for five minutes. So um, again, I don't know how you can say most of the people that are doing it, you know, it's like, it's just, it's not really that real. And a lot of them are just doing it to seem more spiritual. I don't think that's the case. I think people genuinely want to see people free. And I think God is raising up a remnant in these last days that are going to go out and cast out demons and do the work Jesus did. You know, in, in, in closing remarks, um, what I want to say is this, Brother Allen, that this tonight was not a confrontation. It was a conversation. So I really need those of you that are watching and those of you that are listening that uh, we're trying to have a conversation based on what you said in your video. So please don't see tonight as a, a, a whole two hours of just attacking you. No, we're trying to have a conversation. The second thing I want to say is this to everyone watching that what we did today is an act of nobility because yeah. the Bereans searched the scriptures and they challenged what the apostle Paul said and the Bible called them noble. So what we did today is an expression of nobility, just as anyone would hold our videos accountable is an and expression of nobility. And they do. Oh, and they do. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Um, so today, Brother Allen, and for those that are watching, it's not a confrontation. Um, it is a conversation. Let me just kind of piggyback a little bit off of what Isaiah said for just in case on the other side, when he said, maybe you didn't get no deliverance, maybe you did get deliverance because we don't know your past. I know what you have said in various videos concerning your brief running with uh, charismatic, charismatic Christians. Well, um, I want you to know that your bad experience based on what you have said in your own admission of what you have dealt with in the past. And I even believe that I saw a video that you said that you did speak in tongues in one time and then you thought it was emotionalism and amen. All right, don't allow um, that bad experience to be your your defining worldview. Mm. Okay, maybe Pentecostalism is not your thing. We'll be, we'll be the first ones to tell you that it's not our thing because sometimes mm. our own Pentecostal brothers be doing some goofy stuff that we, we stay correcting our 
own our own people for some of the stuff that the goofies. As a matter of fact, um, most of our ministry of deliverance online are teaching deliverance ministries. We want to help balance out this uh, yeah. ministry, you know, this ministry of deliverance. But what I want to say is this, you know, you are a brother in the faith. We do believe that you have an excellent anointing uh, in the area of a fivefold teacher. You might not be uh, privy to some of the more deeper revelatory uh parts of scripture, or maybe some of your experiences have maybe caused there to be some sort of blinders that are there, and maybe you, you just don't want to deal with certain things. But I want to tell you what's actually happening, you know, is this, you're kicking against the golds. And that's what Jesus told the apostle Paul, my brother, you're fighting against us and you don't know it. And this is what God had to tell the apostle Paul. He, his mind was in the right, sincere place. And Jesus had to say, Hey, you're kicking against the goats. You're working against us. You're not even yeah. doing what Jesus told John to do. Let them be. Whoever is for us is not against us, is actually, yeah. is actually for us. And the end result of what's happening, at least as of recent, my brother, is you do, you're fulfilling what the Apostle Paul said. Your good is being evil spoken of. Because now you're tapping into topics that you're not privy to. Maybe you had a bad experience. And you inexperienced and you don't have, you haven't earned the right to be heard in that particular area. Now to, to have the discussion about it, amen. But making definitive, absolute statements as in this video, in an area of ministry that you haven't had the experiences that we have, it's actually working against. Now, in the end result of that, of what you're saying in your video, let me now make an appeal to those that are watching and are confused. Don't be confused no more. Go everyone watching me. We refute, at least I refute, Alan Parr's this particular video on the topic of we shouldn't be casting out demons. I want to encourage every believer that's watching me, preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out, devil, cast out devils, and these signs shall follow you. Go forth and help continue to expand the ministry of deliverance and watch the Holy Spirit work. Go do it. Do it now. People are in need of what you have. Don't get confused by this video. Don't get caught up with, I don't know, should I, shouldn't I? Obviously, be submitted under leadership. Make sure you're walking a holy life. Have all the, 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 the biblical commandments in place and go forth and cast out demons. God wants to use you. And God says, these signs will follow them that believe. Go forth and do it. It's awesome. So good. You know, Alan, if you're still watching, first of all, you're a real one for watching this, this deep into this video. But secondly... Um, you know, when I was thinking about his close, closing remarks, um, you know, he was like, hey, it's rare in the earth. I couldn't help but to think about Mark chapter six, verses uh, five and six. Uh, and it was just, you know, Jesus couldn't do any miracles there mm -hmm. except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed by their lack of faith. And so I was thinking like the only other group of people who thought that Jesus moving in the supernatural was rare, rare were the ones in his hometown who had a spirit of familiarity with him. And so here's the thing I think, and this is a challenge to everybody listening. This is like my challenge to everybody listening. Can Jesus be more than what you think he is? Come on. Can different than what you think he is. Because if you learn anything about the life of Jesus from reading the scriptures, he was constantly breaking out of the box that people put him in. And so here's my thing. If your Jesus is only emotional, see him in the temple 
giving revelation to the scriptures as an intellectual. If your Jesus is only a good moral teacher, see him moving in the supernatural because you, I'm thinking about Mark chapter six, verse five and six. It's like, oh, it's rare. It's like, if you serve a Jesus where miracles are rare, you don't know my Jesus. Come on. So serve a Jesus where it's all feelings based, then he'll take you through a silent season in a wilderness and you'll be like, oh, I guess I didn't, I don't have Jesus. And so really my encouragement to everybody here is get to know the man Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And then as you're watching these videos, you won't watch them passive, you'll watch them active because you'll have the discernment inside of you that's op- in operation. So my hope tonight, again, was that, was that this was not a call-out culture, it's call-up culture for the whole body of Christ. My prayer is iron sharpens iron, and we're all able, like Apostle Bagani said, to move into the great commission, not the great omission. That's so good. And I would say, you said something earlier, Mike, before this broadcast, that what if tonight was the model for correcting people. It wasn't, I'm going to go attack them, post about them, you know, post a video exposing them, try to debate them. But it's, we took his video and we went, let him on his video explain. Now, some of you might say, why didn't you bring him on to debate? Cause we're not debating tonight. We're refuting something he already. So if I brought on Alan Parr, why am I going to bring him on when he just told me in 12 minutes what he believes? I don't need to bring him on and say, do you believe this? When his video says that's what he believes. So tonight was not a debate. It was a refute. I think We did it lovingly. I think we were kind. I don't think we threw any low blows. We stayed on topic. We didn't start saying, well, in this video, he talked about a bad with it. We didn't go anywhere else, but where the video was, we stayed true to the text. We did not go into Mark 16. We didn't give experiences. We didn't get emotional. We didn't start yelling and going, I can't believe he said this or that. We kept our cool. We went into the word. We exegeted the scripture and we gave what did the bible say and i think we did it well i think we did it with love and compassion if i was ellen parr i would not watch this and say man those guys really beat me down and jumped me and were so rude i think he would say well i mean they they refuted me they rebuttaled me and you know i commented on his video because at the end of his video he said let me know what you guys think comment down below so just like people refute our videos it's an open forum it's freedom of speech we could also refute others we don't refute anybody's videos this is our first time we've ever done this and i'm going to tell you why we did this because it's causing discord and confusion in the body of christ and we have hundreds of people no exaggeration commenting emailing us and writing us saying this is what ellen parr said is this true because now i'm confused because i watch you guys and you say all of us can do it and ellen parr says that we all can do it. it's only for some people so we had to come and bring clarity you guys know we don't do drama videos we don't do exposed videos we have i have 615 videos on my channel and there's not one exposed video on anybody we don't call people's names out we did this in a loving biblical manner we prayed about this and we felt god release us to do this to bring clarity and to bring unity so we don't want to sow discord we don't want to divide more people we understand that this probably will not change ellen's position but it might get some of you that are confused to not be confused and to say wait i can get delivered i can get free so let's end tonight guys by praying for the chat and praying for ellen so father we thank you so much lord we just bless ellen parr we thank you for his ministry we pray that you would pour your power out on him you'd pour your anointing out on him god we pray that you would bless his hands and that everything he does his family if he has children his children that they would prosper in all that they do i pray lord that you would bless his youtube channel i pray you would bless his followers i pray that you would just continue to bring him clarity and revelation and wisdom and encounter lord we just ask you to pour out your power and blessing upon him we honor him lord we bless him we thank you father that we're all in your family we're all of one we're all following the good shepherd and father i pray tonight if there's been any discord if there's been any confusion that you would remove all confusion i pray the word that we 
spoke tonight would not get stolen by the bird. It would not land yes. on the footpath and it would not land on the tares. But I pray, Lord, that it would take root and it would bear fruit. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that there would just be a special blessing upon his family. We honor him, we bless him, and we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I don't know if one of you guys want to just pray over uh, him yes. or the chat, whatever you feel. I want to pray, Father, I pray we come in agreement that no troll would try to download this video and then make excerpts and little clips to cause division and make yep. this video say what it wasn't really saying, Father. We pray that those that want to see the, the church fight and see brothers fight be stopped, Lord. Stop the hand of gainsayers. Stop those that subvert whole houses, Lord. Father, let those who would try to do reaction videos to this be convicted by you, Lord, and try to make it seem like what we were saying, what we were not saying. So, Father, we are praying, Lord, that there would, there would be a protection on this video on all of our channels, Lord, and let it be, Lord, that this will be heard in the spirit and the humility of Christ on which we prayed about with you, Lord, and we did it in the admonition in the Lord and in the love of the Lord. So, Father, we are just praying that you would bind the spirits of division, trolls, social media, people trying to get clout, clout chasers, Lord, those trying to grow their channels, those are trying to cause division or keep the fight going, Lord. Father, we did what you told us to do, and now we ask, Lord, that you silence the mouth of those yes. who will perpetuate what you hate, Lord, and that is to sow discord among brothers, Lord. We pray blessings upon our brother. We love our brother, Alan. He's a brother in the faith, and we ask that you continue to bless and bless his ministry, bless his family, bless his children, and bless the work of his hands, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Go ahead, pass the mic. Father, I just thank you for maturity, spiritual maturity. Lord, I pray that you would stir up a desire and a hunger inside of every single person who can even hear my voice now to get into your word, to read the scriptures, Father, to find you in the pages of the scriptures. And Lord, I just thank you that you're stirring up a hunger and a desire for prayer for those who have been diligent in reading the word, but have not found you in the secret place. God, I pray that we would just, you would reignite a passion and a fire to find you in the secret place, to develop intimacy with you, God. Lord, I pray that we would not consume more videos than we consume more of you, God, that we would have more dialogue with you than monologue with videos, God. Lord, that we would be a people that seek you first and foremost. And Lord, I just thank you that tonight something is shifting. Something is changing in the hearts of those. Lord, I, I just thank you for Alan Parr and for his family, God. And I thank you that as he's being led by your spirit, God, that we will see much fruit even from tonight in this conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amazing, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.